Well, here we go. If you don't know me, my name is Eric Amundsen. I was here last week, but I didn't do this part. Uh, and, and now I get to. Uh, and this part will always start with me, with this part, with the word. Uh, and the word this morning is from the book of Acts in chapter 17 as Paul speaks to those in Athens. Beginning in verse 22 and going through the end of 34. Listen to the word of God. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance of God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we'll, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray as we consider his word. Lord, this is your word. And I pray that as we think upon it, and think of our own place, our own part in this life, we see 
not just who we are, but we see who you are through your word, through your spirit. Guide us now. Guide my words. Guide all of our hearts and minds as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three stories for this morning. Three stories. It's, it's part message and it's part informational. Um, first of all, well, really two stories and a plan, which is kind of a story looking ahead. Uh, and, and first of all, my story, and then our story, and then our story, and then our story. My story, so you can just begin to get to know me a little bit. And then the transition plan, what we have before us in the coming year as a church or so. And then finally, God's story. And as we always should, let's, let's start with that one. Let's start with God's story. All stories have in them an answer to who you are. You come to know the characters in the story. And whether it's fiction or nonfiction, what you, you see from everything that happens in the story who people are. Who am I? And so we begin at the beginning. And I want to read something from, now this is a, a risk as a pastor coming into a new congregation, but I'm going to read a little bit of Calvin. Um, and I'm going to read the very beginning of his institutes, upon which kind of the, the, our tradition of faith is, is built, him and his work, especially this one. And he begins his great magnum opus with this, writing this. He says, nearly all the wisdom we possess that is to say, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one precedes and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. Very simply, he's saying, we don't know who we are. Fully, really, without knowing who God is. And we come to see who we are in our relation with Him. Our, our stories reveal already what we believe about God. We see our theology through our biography. And even if we don't believe in God, that's reflected in our story. But for Christians, there, there's a key word in Scripture that is describing us. We are witnesses. Witnesses to Him in our lives. It, it's what we say about Him, but it's also how we live our lives because of what we believe about Him. What we've come to see and know of Him. And so when we look at this passage, Paul tells the, 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 the people of Athens, he tells them the story of God and of themselves. He's, he's telling them who they are and who God is. First, he points out their own recognition that their relationship with God is fundamental to their own identity, to who they are. Paul quotes their own philosophers when he says, in him we live and move and have our being. They know their relationship with God is fundamental to who they are. 
and, and who them, they believe themselves to be. But the problem is, very simple, they don't know who this God is. He's an unknown God to them. They've even made that statue to an unknown God. And so Paul, <laughs> Paul boldly, man, can you imagine him with a gumption to say this? Let, you, let me tell you who he is. And he tells them a story in the broadest form. Remember, these, these are not Jews who know the Old Testament. Most of Paul's messages that we have in Scripture are to people in synagogues. And whether they are Jews or not in the synagogues, if they're there in the synagogue, they know the story of God already. Of his creation, of, of sin and death come through Adam and Eve, of, of the call of the people of Israel and the promises of God. And then he tells them in the synagogues the story of God come in Jesus Christ to fulfill those promises on the cross and in the empty tomb and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This audience, though, they have none of that background. So as to step back a little further, all they have is their searching for God. And so Paul tells them, really, the broadest outline of our story. That God made everything. And he made us. And the end of the story is that he will judge his creation in righteousness. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And he will set everyone and everything in its proper place in relation to him. And we know that. We know that's true. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, they react to that story. They react to that story. They have the same reactions to his story there that the Jews have had in the synagogues. Some of them believe and some of them reject. Now, there is so much to say about this passage, but I'm going to have to come back in the weeks and months to, to most of it. But my favorite thing about this is to see how Paul forms his message to his audience. The message is the same. Very simply the same. Jesus is Lord. We usually see him preaching in the context of the synagogue and, and people look at how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. But here, people don't have that background or knowledge. and They are philosophers who, who simply love discussing the truth. And so Paul doesn't start with the Old Testament. He starts with some of their own philosophers and their art. And he says that even that points to Jesus as Lord. God speaks the same message through every means to each of our situations. Christ is Lord. In the coming months and weeks, we will continue to look at the story of God, at, at who he is and at who we are. But I want to take a moment with everyone so that you can, <laughs> this seems so strange, begin to get to know me a little bit too. 
Hopefully you've seen a little bit about me, even just in what I've shared up to this point. And I hope that my whole life would point to Jesus. So much of it doesn't, frankly, because I'm a sinner. But the part in me that which, in which God has been working, it, it points not to me. Hopefully, prayerfully, it points to God. So, a very quick introduction to me. And this is kind of the outline of me to get to know me and build upon in the, in the weeks and months to come. Very simply, I was raised in Southern California, in Newport Beach, for the most part, a couple years in high school in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, and I, in those years, I learned to love the mountain and the seas. I, I grew up in a loving family. I'm the parents who were together until my dad passed away in 2001, 21 years ago. I have two older sisters who still live in Newport Beach, along with my mom, who's down there as well. And other than being baptized in the the local Presbyterian church, I was not raised in the faith at all. I'll tell more family stories and of my own testimony in the months to come, but I came to faith at the end of junior high school as the culmination of my own search for meaning. And in, in looking for an explanation of things that would both explain the suffering and brokenness of the world, as well as having hope, even in the face of death. And so Christianity answered those assumptions, those challenges. And I came to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior in eighth grade. At the end of high school, I went to Westmont College in the hills outside of Santa Barbara, California, and I decided to go into ministry after that, and I went to one year at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is always a mouthful to say, north of Chicago, and two years at Princeton Theological Seminary. I, after graduating seminary, uh, rather than going immediately into ordained ministry, I lived for two years in the Franciscan lay community uh, and worked in a homeless ministry for uh, youth and children, both in Houston and uh, New York City. And then I was ordained uh, in Mercer Island Presbyterian Church, right over here, and was only there for two years before I did an interim at Cooley City. And after uh, that, I spent 12 years, and during Cooley City, I was married to my wife, whom I had met in New York, I was married to my wife, uh, and then shortly after that, we moved to Buffalo, New York, where I spent 12 years in a pastor there, um, doing transitional ministry there as well. It was in those 12 years in Buffalo that we had our three children. And we have Anne, who is working in the theater industry in New York City. We have our son, Sam, who is working in the tech industry back in Pittsburgh. And my youngest son, Jed, who's a sophomore now at Temple University in computer science and, uh, and on their Tokyo campus in Japan. And after a couple of years that we spent after Buffalo, we went to Sacramento, and then we ended up back east again in Pittsburgh, New York, for 11 years, where I was pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church there. This past year, I followed my wife to pursue her dreams in a tech startup in Los Angeles, and that was wonderful. But just a month ago, she took a new position with Amazon Web Services. And so uh, she's going to be up here, and you'll get to meet her and know her, and she'll be here in a couple weeks. 
uh, and back and forth in Los, from here in Los Angeles. All that gets me to here. I, as I was driving up uh, just over a week ago, I have loved and missed both the sea and the mountains since my youth. And as I saw the sound on one side of me driving up and the mountains on the other, it felt so good. Um, but more than anything, I knew I was coming to a place that knows the love of Jesus and, and wants to know him more and be equipped to reach our new world with the hope that we found in him. And I'm excited that God is, is bringing our stories together for this next chapter. That gets to the next stories. Next story, ours. This isn't much about the story of your past. This is about the story of what's ahead of us. Uh, this is the story about the plan of the transition time, uh, uh, the hope for our future, what's coming now. Our, de- our denomination's leadership has changed the name of this period in a church's life from interim to transition. It, it's because it's not merely waiting for our, waiting and biding our time for whatever's going to happen next when the, when the real pastor gets here. That's what we're not doing. In, we're not doing that in this time. We have work to do right now. And this is the work. To figure out who we are and where we're going before we pursue the person to lead us. And as you can clearly see, the true answers to those questions never come in isolation but only in relation to God. The God who made us, who sent his son to die for us and rise to new life and is making us new. Who has God made us and where is he leading us? And after answering those questions, we'll look forward to how we're being led to go there. So this Transition time has three different steps, three different periods. First, discovering who we are. Between between now and Christmas, I'll be sitting down with leaders and with others and asking a short list of questions. Very simply, here are the six questions. I'll sit down and ask many of you. Your history with the church, your personal history with the church. And then, the core questions here. The church's greatest strength the church's greatest weakness, the church's greatest opportunity, and the church's greatest threat. And finally, is there anything else we can be praying for, for you? We call it a SWOT analysis. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we'll put the results together and have, have a sense of who we are. And then we'll establish a vision and a strategy. How is God calling us to be his church, to minister to each other, and more importantly, to a changing world and community? And we'll put together a vision team for this process, a a vision team, two teams really, a vision team and a prayer support team, because we are really ultimately just simply seeking God's vision for us. And and finally, we'll begin stepping into that vision, operating as a church with a God-given purpose and clarity in it 
structuring ourselves, and, and knowing how each piece contributes to that vision and how all of us are working not just simply to rest inside of a church, but to be on a mission with a vision. Including having real direction as a, as a pastoral search committee, a pastoral nominating committee, we call it in the nomenclature of the church, PNC. We'll, we'll set up a PNC at that point who looks, who, who looks for who God would have lead New Hope into the next, next part of its life. The person will know exactly what they are coming to. And, and frankly, I've got to tell you, as a pastor, nothing is more attractive than a church who knows who it is and where it's going. And not simply putting, putting that burden on you. This is not a normal sermon that you're going to be getting from me. Um, it's, it's full of a lot of information about me and about a plan for the coming year. And, and what will be happening here normally from this pulpit is going to be always looking at who we are through our relationship with God, who made us and everything, from whom we've fallen away through sin, suffering suffering death and the fear of death and all the sorts of brokenness of this world. But God has made promises of redemption, of salvation from sin and death and has fulfilled and will fulfill those promises through the work of His Son, His coming, His death, and His resurrection and through the presence of His Spirit. In all of it, we see who God is. We see His love. Love for each one of us. Of His salvation. Of His hope. That, that's what makes us who we are. As we know who God is. That's the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we stand amazed at how you work through, through different means to bring the message to each person of who you are, of your love and salvation for us especially through your Son, Jesus Christ, and of the hope that we have that when we face that final judgment, the righteousness that we'll see there will not be our own, but it will, will be yours, your sons who died for us. God, thank you, Lord, that we know through the revelation of your word, the work of your spirit, who you are, and by that, who we are. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.